0: Welcome to Wandering Spirits of the Pacific Northwest. I'm Martina, and as always, I'm here with my co host and sidekick, James. And today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite places to visit. I've been there a million times. I remember going there when, not when I was a kid so much, but maybe like teenager on the uh-huh. time I went to the North Coast or Astoria. I would stop at Flavel House, so I'm really excited that we are talking about this beautiful mansion today on our podcast.
1: And this was my first time there ever, so it was especially unique for me. (laughs) So a little bit of history that we always really like to give you guys, so um, Flavel House was built and started in 1884 and finished in 1885 so it only took about a year um to build the house and the house was built for and by captain george flavel and his family now the captain made his fortune so i want to give you we want to give you a little bit of history as we always like to do about where we have gone and done an investigation so let's talk a little bit about the flavel house so the Flavell House was built between excuse me, 1884 and 1885 for Captain George Flavell. And it was built for him and his family, and it was really his retirement home. <clears throat> so the captain made his fortune from his occupation as a Columbia River bar pilot and through real estate investments. And he had the house built as his retirement home when he was at the age of 62, and he only got to live there for seven years before he passed away. Now, one thing you'll want to do is look up and see how dangerous that Columbia River um, and ocean um, crossing is where the Columbia River runs into the to the ocean. It's actually there's been a bunch of shipwrecks there, and it's it's very dangerous.
0: Mm -hmm. It is wild. If you ever want to kind of get a sense of how choppy it is, the section of bridge that goes kind of from the town of Astoria across to Warrington Mm -hmm. on a day when the tide is kind of high is a really good kind of indication because the water feels really close. (laughs) Yeah, 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 it's pretty wild.
1: Um, so the house was is large. It was built on a lot running an entire city block, and it was built at the rumored cost of an extravagant $36,000 back in 1884. That was a lot of money. Now, surrounding the house are nine trees planted by the, the family's gardener, uh, whose name was Louis Schultz. Um, it, Flavel had acquired these various plants from various locations all around the world on his many voyages. Now the house is a beautiful example of Queen Anne style Victorian architecture. It's approximately 11,600 square feet and has six original fireplaces. And they're all a little bit different in decoration. And it also has an octagonal shaped tower And a wraparound porch. So beautiful home. And when you walk in, the first floor has 14-foot ceilings. It's just amazing. And the second floor has 12-foot ceilings. So you really get a sense of awe when you walk into the home, Um, especially for me for the first time seeing it. I was just like, wow, this is is really neat. Um, It was very modern for its day. It was fitted with interior indoor plumbing which looked a little odd. It wasn't like the toilets that we see today. They were kind of a little odd, Um, but it also had um, gas lighting. So not the old oil lamps. They were actually run by natural gas that ran through the home. Um, It is an open museum now. You can go and visit it. Uh, It's run by the Clatsop County Historical Society, Society, and you can visit their website and look at um, when they're open. And I think they're open every day but Sunday and they're they stay pretty busy. It's a beautiful home.
0: Yeah, it's it's gorgeous. And one of the things that they've done really well is that while the furnishings, a lot of it is original furnishing, um, mm-hmm. some of it comes from other properties that the Plavels owned, but
1: right. they've done
0: a really lovely job of making it. We were just talking about this before we started recording that. You walk in and you expect someone to come out of the rooms along the yeah. hallway. It feels very much like a home in that's occupied where people just yeah. walked off for a second. Yep. Even if you're just there because you like history or you like Victorian houses, which I mm-hmm. love, mm-hmm. that kind of architecture, it's worth a visit. And then when you add the um, stories about there being spirits there, it just makes mm-hmm. it all the more interesting. Yes. So when we talk about the Flavel family, the Flavel family, at least of George's, Captain George Flavel's generation was him, his wife, Mary Christina. And then they had three children, George Conrad, and he, um, Nellie and Katie. And George was a little older. He was born in 1855, fairly shortly after the Flavels were married. And so by the time George Sr., retired and was ready to build this house. He was already off on his own and married and mm-hmm. living not far away, but he never actually lived in the Plavelle home. Now, right. his two younger sisters, Nellie and Katie, did stay in the family house. And we'll talk a little bit ab- more about them in their bedrooms uh, a little later in the podcast. But mm-hmm. as you can tell, to build a house like like he had, yeah, yeah, was really successful. And one of the things that's really interesting about him is that even though he kind of got his start, or at least the start we know about, as the ship's yeah. captain, he really um, had kind of a. It just kind of makes me think of a modern <laughs> a modern situation where people have like yeah. side gigs that they're yeah. doing. Because he really did a lot and was very successful in a variety Mm -hmm. of different business enterprises, which meant the family had the resources to divide their time between Oregon and San Francisco, California. And Mm -hmm. it also meant that he was able to give his children really good educations. They went to schools in Europe. Mm
1: -hmm. Both
0: of the daughters were really accomplished musicians The family's older daughter, Nellie, was a classically trained pianist and performed with the Organist Guild of Portland. Their younger daughter was a dramatic soprano who also traveled the world several times. So they really were a good example kind of of well-brought-up girls of Mm -hmm. a certain level of success society <laughs> during the Victorian era.
1: And they were very pretty girls. They were very, you know, um, which is
0: interesting because captain George himself uh-huh. was reported to have made the comment that the only way either of his daughters would ever get married was for their money because they were so homely, which yeah. is ironic because they actually look a lot like him. <laughs> I know,
1: right? Yeah, and he's not really a real looker, but... No,
0: it's I will okay. give all three of them. <laughs> I think they are among my blue-eyed brethren. And uh-huh. 19th century photography made people with blue eyes look really weird. So I'm hoping right. that part of
1: that is
0: some lighting awkwardness. Um, um, his wife, Mary Christina, was actually quite pretty, I think. From
1: yes, the yes very think beautiful woman.
0: Yeah, but the daughters definitely favored him, and I will leave it to you all to decide where you want to yeah. measure that on the yardstick of property. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I have to and, say, reading yeah. that person me just a little against him.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you're right. He did a ton of stuff. He was like the superintendent of schools. He owned, I think, a paper mill or a, a, a lumber mill. He did all mm-hmm. kinds of things. He was very entrepreneurial. Yeah, great entrepreneurship.
0: Right. You know. Well, he we had the money to invest in those sorts of things.
1: Exactly. Right. Wow. Yeah. Very wealthy man. Yeah. Um, so a little bit more um, about Captain Flavel, about the good Captain. So born in 1823 to Irish parents, Flavel relocated to the west coast of the United States in 1849. And he worked as a tugboat operator between Sacramento and San Francisco, California. In 1851, he settled in the Northern coastal port city of Astoria, Oregon, where he became one of the very first licensed um, bar pilots in the state of Oregon. So Flavel began his career as a sea captain. Uh, He was managing ship uh, routes from the Pacific ocean, up the columbia river and then into the willamette river and if you look at a map you can see how those all kind of intersect and connect in 1850 he was given command of the Goliath, and the Goliath was the second tugboat <clears throat> ever built in the united states so there were only two tugboats he was given command of one of those now he uh, commanded that driving the boat between sacramento and san francisco the following year in december of 1851 he earned his marine pilot license from the state of Oregon. Um, so he was one of the only mariners in the state to possess a captain's license. And Flavell and his partners were then able to establish a virtual monopoly um, on bar piloting and ship tours on the Columbia River. And this was how he amassed his great deal of wealth, because they were really the only ones doing this at the time. And wouldn't you feel safer going on a boat with an actual captain who's licensed rather than, you know, Joe Schmoe, who has a little boat. He maybe doesn't know how to run, right? During um, January of 1852, um, there was a really particularly strong gale. Captain Favell was the captain of the time of a ship called the, the SS Gerald Warren. The ship in this gale lost its four topmasts and it began to leak. And it was near Astoria, so it wasn't, like, way out in the middle of the ocean. They were near the shore of Astoria. And the story is is that um, Captain Flavel was the only one to get into the small rescue craft, and we don't know. It was probably very small, and actually go for help. Everybody else stayed back on on the ship, on the SS General Warren. Um, He went. He made it to land um i think he said something to like his first officer if i'm alive i'll come back for everybody yeah, yeah i read yeah. that too. yeah and so um he got <laughs> he got another small boat and a rescue party of like seven or eight people i think to help went out and the ss general warren was gone it had sank and it wasn't just the ship that sank but all of the people on board Forty-two people died when the ship sank, but Flavelle and his efforts to save the Warren earned him the reputation of a local hero in Astoria. Before Flavelle married fourteen-year-old uh, Christina Bowling, whom he met at a hotel in Portland, Oregon. Now, their first and uh, their first son, George Conrad, was born a year later. Their daughter Nellie was born in 1858, and Katie in 1864. So, uh, so Flavelle was a successful businessman who had his hand in many different uh, endeavors, like we, we talked about. And um, there's 18- more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, I mean, he did really pretty incredible things. Um, yeah. In 1869, Flavelle and his partners built a steam tug called Victoria, <laughs> and they used it as a pilot boat. Um, in addition to his pilot business, Flavelle Uh, was appointed the Harbor master in Astoria Um, and Fidel and the piloting team. He built successfully guided hundreds of ships uh, into the port over more than 30 than 30 years. And like I said earlier, if you look at that, you know, that port areas, it can be very, very dangerous. Um, He also purchased and sold coal from Australia as a side business. Now he's an international entrepreneur. (laughs) Uh, He built businesses on the waterfront and he increasingly led in his community by serving on the city council, on the school board uh, in his free time. Uh, And later in life, Lavelle also helped manage the first national bank of Astoria beginning in 1886 and served as its president until he passed away. Then, when Flavel died in 1893, he had a reported net worth of $1.9 million. That's equivalent to $61,883,704 in 2022. So even more um, today. He was very wealthy. The family was very, very yeah. wealthy. Um, his funeral procession was a uh, procession, excuse me. Was one of the largest in the history of Astoria, and Astoria is not a huge town. It's still pretty mm-hmm. small, but still it was a big event. Yeah. Um, and then in 1897, Flavelle's body was relocated uh, for interment at Ocean View Cemetery in Warrington, Oregon. And we didn't stop. We drove by that, but we didn't stop at that. But we need to go back and yeah, and go to that cemetery. So
0: yeah, I'm because the other the family body. members are there as well.
1: Right, right. One of the daughters, I believe, right?
0: The daughter, and I believe his wife is also oh, okay.
1: there. Oh, okay. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. Okay. And maybe other family members. I'm not really sure. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> I would assume so. Right. Um, so, yeah. So we've heard a little bit about George. And so I want to talk a little bit about Mary Christina, Christina Lydia Bowling flavel <laughs> That's a mouthful.
1: Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs>
0: um, and it's kind of interesting because initially, when I was researching the family, I had a hard time finding information about her. Which kind of makes sense, right? We're talking about the 19th century, for the yeah. most part. Reports are going to be of the husbands, and the women are going to be, you know, You're right home, birthing babies, and I'm doing the, <laughs> doing needlepoint and stuff like that. But right. I actually found quite a bit of information in her eulogy, which made me really happy because I really wanted us to be able to share more than yeah. you know a couple of sentences about her yep
1: yep exactly.
0: so Mary Christina was the daughter of German immigrants, and one of the things that was kind of cool as we were visiting the um the daughter's bedrooms was one of the plaques mentioned that elder of the two daughters would often read to her grandmother, right? Mary Christina's mother Mm -hmm. in German, which I just thought was kind of cool, especially I'm half German myself.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But again, it's kind of emblematic of the kind of education the girls would have gotten as well, that they'd be learning music and foreign languages and those sorts of things. But we're right now here to talk about Mary Christina. So let me continue with her before. get. Before I get super sidetracked, and if you see me flinch or do things uh, that look weird, as in our last episode, I have um, I a
1: cat
0: candy. climbing around me right now. He's rubbing against <laughs> my head, and I'm trying not to move and stuff like that. The reality it's is, fine. he's digging claws into me, and you'll hear meow. I'm sure. But anyway, so Mary Christina herself has a really interesting story. So she's a woman who was born in, so she was born in Cincinnati, Ohio in May of 1839, and then crossed the plains in an ox team caravan with her parents in 1847. Wow. So by the time she was a teenager, she was already a pioneer, which is just really wow. cool. And the family was living in Oregon when she met George, and they were married in 1854 when he was 31 and she was only 14, which oh. I know during that time was uh, not necessarily abnormal. But during our time,
1: yeah, all I yeah.
0: think is, ooh, gross.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think 14 back then, that was maybe even a little young for back then, maybe?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it no. definitely is is very young to yeah. be married. Yeah. But at any rate, social standards between today and the night the late or mid-right 1854, yeah. mid-19th yeah. century, having changed significantly. Yeah. Yeah. She did marry him. And according to her eulogy, she was described as being of truly noble and great character. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the things that's really interesting a lot of the times when we start looking at descriptions of Victorian women or women in the 19th century and even earlier is that they tend to be pretty idealized and don't necessarily really get to the meat of what a person was like right so if you were considered a good proper woman you were Mm -hmm. of truly noble and great character probably even maybe having peaches and cream beauty but they didn't say that (laughs) (laughs) even though as i said from the pictures i've seen she was lovely
1: yeah beautiful woman absolutely Um,
0: but it sounds like she was everything a woman of the Victorian era should have been, right? Noble mm-hmm. and great character. She was a member of the local Presbyterian church for over 50 years wow. and was deeply interested in her community in Astoria, as would have been, you know, well, I mean, even now, right? The thing for a wealthy socialite to be is to be doing service to the community, Exactly. Which she did. Right. Yep. And it sounds like she was pretty well loved and she lived yep. in Astoria for 80 years and what's interesting wow. too is that when her husband passed right George was quite a bit older than she was mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. she had the resources that she could have gone anywhere but she actually yeah. did choose to stay in Astoria yep apparently in large part just because of what she could contribute to the community yep. And how she could better it even just by her presence through things nice. like the taxes she paid, the work she did with her church, nice. and all of that. So it sounds like she really did care about the town. Yeah. About yeah. yeah. And, and in fact, when she passed, an article in the local paper said that many a needy, worthy family has been provided for with without much ado about it, even though they or even their closest friends never knew whence the blessing. Right. So wow. it sounds like she did a lot of really good work without necessarily always support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Which, wow. which really is to my mind the kind of highest form of charity, right? That right. you right. that you do it out of the goodness of your heart and not to yep. not Get for people to say, wow, you're mm-hmm. amazing, right?
1: Yeah. Right.
0: <laughs> it sounds like she was one of those people who truly lived according <laughs> to you know to the teachings of being kind to your neighbor. Um it was also said that any that many struggling merchants or tenants who occupied the various Fidell properties felt the influence of her kindness and encouragement of trade in low rentals and other various means and i've also seen by the way accounts that described well we'll get to this later the the descriptions of George are kind of mixed but mm-hmm. one thing that we did see was that he could be pretty generous, or at least very fair in his business dealings. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, the interesting thing about her is despite the family's wealth, she was said to be pretty frugal in the way she ran the household. And one of the notable things that we found in our research was that, you know, even though they moved in pretty elevated social circles in Astoria Mm -hmm. and San Francisco, Mrs. Fuldell and her two daughters actually did a lot of the cooking, most of the cleaning and wash dishes themselves. Wow. Which I thought was really interesting because it's a theme we've run into before, which was with the Ermitinger home in Oregon City, which Uh is another episode you should go back and listen to if you haven't Uh already. Uh Um, So from the limited amount we were able to find about Mrs. Valdell, it actually sounds like she was a pretty lovely person.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And like I said, while... George Flavel died in 1893. Mrs. Flavel actually lived quite a bit longer and remained in the mansion until her death in 1928, where she passed after an extended illness that had gone on for some weeks.
1: Did it specify what she died from or just kind of natural?
0: It just said extended illness of some weeks.
1: So yeah, very kind hearted woman, very. um, And I think being wealthy probably helped her get more attention or be more noticed during that time mm-hmm. period. And like you said, most of the women probably were at the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So we did, we'll talk a little bit more um, about what we experienced in the house. We did some EVP work um, in the house and everything we got um, EVP was, I think on the second floor of the house where the bed chambers were, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll make those available on our Facebook page when this episode airs on February 16th on, on Friday. Um, so of course the question becomes, and the purpose of the podcast today is Ovelle house haunted, right? So there have been a lot of um, experiences from visitors, from staff and what they kind of describe as hearing disembodied voices the ringing of bells which I don't know if you saw and I just remembered this in the house above the some of the doorways were these little electric bells and I wonder if that was to maybe call servants or maybe, maybe. it was the, the front doorbell so you could hear it throughout the house but there were little electronic bells and I just oh, I just Chris. now remember that yeah
0: I did not notice that, that interesting feature, though.
1: Yeah. Um, They would also, people report hearing phantom music, um, and that is thought to, of course, be uh, Captain Flavelle's daughters, Katie and Nellie, and they have uh, reportedly uh, been heard on the first floor of the house. The library is said to be haunted by um, an unhappy presence, uh, while the second floor is reportedly inhabited by a woman uh, who disappears once she is seen, and again, most of our activity, most of our experience, was on the on that second floor. Um, visitors to the mansion have also um, reportedly have reported being tapped on the shoulder, only to find that there was nobody there. Um, visitors who take photos of the bedrooms sometimes report that they're tapped on the shoulder afterwards, as the spirits are requesting them to take further photographs. Further up on the third floor tower, and we weren't able to go into the tower um, due to fire code. Uh, visitors and volunteers alike have reported an uninviting feeling, and there's, it, it's kind of similar to what was in the library, and they were kind of felt quietly ushered uh, them to leave the space. They didn't want it to be up there, um, What what was up there. So, yeah, we had some experience with um, some EVPs that we will share with with you guys mm-hmm. um, on the Facebook page.
0: Yeah, and I think you mentioned also <clears throat> as you're kind of going towards the staircase leading up to the upper floors. And did you mean the main staircase or the back? No, the back, actually,
1: the, the, the back staircase like the butler's pantry and the kitchen mm-hmm. was right there. I multiple times expected to turn around and see someone standing on those stairs. Um, so yeah, that was really interesting. And main stairs, I didn't feel like that at all, but those back stairs I felt, and I don't remember, they were, they were very narrow and they mm-hmm. were very, I couldn't imagine trying to carry a tray or
0: right. Especially you know, one.
1: right. And in, in a dress or, you know, dress shoes and all that um but yeah i expected to see somebody standing there well you
0: know it's interesting because i posted a picture of the main stairs on Uh my um facebook wall and one of my cousins made the comment that they were kind of eerie and he felt like someone like he got kind of the immediate feeling of someone she was up there watching or something? Even just yeah. looking at the photograph. Even though I have <laughs> to say, I didn't necessarily feel that on the main stairs.
1: Yeah, I didn't. I didn't either. I didn't either. Huh. Interesting. So yeah, there's some BVP stuff, and and uh, some more we'll talk about later in the in the uh, podcast here. The uh, bedrooms are all upstairs, and the first bedroom upstairs that we walked into was what is called the children's bedroom. Now there were no small children living in the Flavel house during the captain's lifetime. Um, The, the son was older living in his own home in Astoria. Um, The two daughters were older. And so we're not really sure. Maybe this could have been a grandchild's room, or maybe it just was just a room that the museum had decided to turn into um, what appears to be a children's room. Anyway um when we walked into that room it was noticeably colder than the rest of the house and the house was actually quite warm they had the heat up pretty high in the house um and this room was certainly uh cooler than the rest of the house and then that was really it in that ho- in that room i didn't really feel anything else
0: mm-hmm.
1: um we didn't notice a lot of drafts the windows were in you know good repair for a over 100 year old home um so yeah it was just interesting but yeah. no real feeling in there
0: yeah i ca- i can't say either other than the cold spot was kind of noticeable and i think we felt yeah. that in one other room actually too Correct. right that we'll get to a little later but again it I'm not sure if that was just supposed to be an example of what a Victorian child's bedroom would have looked like, or if it was actually used as Mm -hmm. a room. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if at that point, George Jr., I know he was married. I don't know if he had Uh, kids at that point. So it's possible it was a grandchild's. Could have been. What's really interesting about the house, too, is the way the upper floor is laid out, and this children's room is not part of that is you come up the stairs and there's a long hallway leading down Mm -hmm. and the hallway had, I think they're like pocket doors. So basically Mm -hmm. you could close those doors off. So anybody upstairs had access to the upper bathroom into that children's room, but they would not have necessarily had access to the kind of private family bedrooms. Right. Those doors had been shut. So that yeah. does make me wonder if that was not just some sort of a spare bedroom. Yeah. At,
1: or maybe like, a sewing room or something. At or the time something. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It
0: didn't really yeah. say, but it just yeah. occurred to me.
1: Yeah, interesting.
0: So yeah. So the next place we visited were the daughters' bedrooms, Nellie and Katie. And they they did live there for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um the first bedroom we went into was Katie's and you can see it there in the picture off to the left.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Katie was the youngest of the Flavel's daughters. Mm-hmm. And as with the rest of the house, there were definitely places that maybe felt heavier, Yeah, heavier, I would say, but there was yeah. nothing real scary about it or anything mm-hmm. like that. For me, Katie's room did have kind of a heaviness to it. Not, not oppressive, but just kind of a sad kind of feeling melancholy kind of energy to it, which Mm -hmm. is probably not surprising considered. She died in there Mm -hmm. after what sounded like a pretty awful illness that basically resulted in her wasting away and kind Mm -hmm. of starving to death due to malnourishment.
1: Yeah.
0: And we're not the only ones who felt a little something extra, a kind of an energy shift in her room. As mm-hmm. I was researching, I was reading different accounts of people who'd visited the house and what they've experienced there. And one visitor who sounds like she probably thinks of herself as an empath mm-hmm. um, describes feeling pressure in her head and neck in the room, along with mild vertigo that became stronger. And it's not a big room either, no, no. none of the rooms are, are, I mean, the upper rooms anyway, right, are right. particularly large. Mm-hmm. And so she was saying that this kind of vertigo would be stronger near the bed and fireplace, which probably made sense, right? Okay. If somebody yeah. is ill in there, she's probably right. spent a lot of time in bed, or I could see maybe bundled up by the fireplace yeah. or something exactly. if, she's, if she's gonna sit up. and mm-hmm. She's not the only one. Other people have reported also feeling a kind of heaviness to Katie's room. Again, not scary, just kind of somber or sad that dissipates as soon as you move into Nellie's adjoining bedchamber. And museum volunteers have also reported that things will happen in Katie's room, like they go in and close the curtains only to come back a few minutes later and find them open again. Yeah. So as the story goes, and this happens too, even when there isn't anybody around or in the building who wow. should be wow. able to close them, right? And so the story goes that Katie was a really big fan of natural light mm. and always preferred to have her curtains open. There you go. And another thing in Katie, and I believe it was also in Nellie's room, which I have to say, I didn't really, Nellie's room just felt like a normal room to me. It was a nice room, but Mm -hmm. I I didn't get any kind of, I feel something here, vibes from it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I believe there was one of these in Nellie's room as well. One of the interesting things that's really kind of typical of the Victorian era is that the rooms feature some really good examples of Victorian hair art, Mm -hmm. which was a (laughs) form which was a form of mourning art. And Mm. part of that comes from the Victorians being kind of a sentimental Mm -hmm. lot and mourning Mm -hmm. practices became pretty elaborate, especially after Queen Victoria became a widow. Mm -hmm. And so hair art was a popular way to commemorate loved ones, both living and deceased. Mm -hmm. And you might be wondering why they used hair Right? Like, I see hair mm-hmm. art. And I think that's kind of, that's kind of, yeah. yeah. But one of the reasons they used hair was that it was cherished as a lasting memento of people, right? Even, I mean, people do it still, like where they'll clip a baby's locker. Sure, absolutely. Hair. I actually have yep. my dad's baby book, which has a little lock of blonde hair in it from when he was young. Oh, wow. Um, wow. Right? And people do that because hair doesn't decay like other parts uh-huh. of the body do. Right. And can last for a really long time. So people would mm-hmm. preserve locks of hair as a way to physically hold on to a part of someone, right? And that's actually yeah. not yeah. necessarily unique to Victorian culture either, right? There are right. Native American cultures' beliefs about mm-hmm. hair and the cutting of hair, and
1: exactly,
0: and that you're cutting away a part of the spirit when you do that, right?
1: Right, and.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> Cultures around the world, there are, you can look them up yourself, but there are various beliefs about hair and kind of the I energy know. that hair holds. And
1: yeah,
0: right. Yeah. Or even, I mean, if you're a girl, you know what I'm talking about. Um, we, a lot yeah. of the times when we want to change something in our lives or starting over or having uh-huh. some new experience, we're beginning, what yeah. do we do? We go and chop yep. off our hair or change yep. the color or whatever it is. So yeah. there's definitely kind of this energy. Associated uh-huh. Uh-huh. With hair, uh-huh. and some of this hair art is—you can—I don't know if, if you can see in the picture because it's probably fairly small—but mm-hmm. some of the hair art is really elaborate. They would Very. weave wreaths and flowers and yep. all sorts of different yep. designs.
1: Like, it's amazing and- what they what they did back then, and you know, I think even when you were talking about, you know. Uh, when a um, a woman wants to kind of change or, oh, really? or start over the cutting the hair, even back, the legend is, is that Queen Elizabeth the first, when she wanted to become the Virgin Queen, she cut her hair mm-hmm. very, very short. And she had long flowing hair. So even back then, that was a big symbol of, you know, that kind of starting over and becoming something different. Right.
0: Right, or like, I mean, even biblically, right? when you look yes. at the Samson and Delilah and the cutting of hair, yes, um, yeah. a yeah. lot of cultures going back really far in history. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's really kind of interesting about this hair art, you know, I talked about this a little bit before with women, women's voices in the nineteenth century, and women often weren't allowed to really be seen in their fullness. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yeah. other thing is, it's like, there's a lot of this Victorian hair art still in existence. And mm-hmm. it's an art form where for the most part, we don't know who created it, which again, like I said, you know, not necessarily my cup of tea, but when you think about mm-hmm. it, the amount of planning and work that goes yeah. into it, Right, this, it's it's pretty yeah. ornate and pretty, um, you know, in its own yeah. way, yeah, as it, complex it, as any yeah. other piece of art that you'd see in any museum, you know, exactly right. right, or whatever, I mean,
1: yeah, it's very beautifully done. It's not just a chunk of hair, it's very intricate.
0: So, as I said, we um didn't really there really wasn't energetically speaking yep. a lot yep. to Nellie's room to me. Yep. It felt like um Katie's room had a little bit more uh going on as far yeah. as spiritually. Yeah, um spiritually, yep. spirit, spirit goes <laughs> <laughs> right. no. spirituality. Yep. Yep. Um and I have to say I sort of felt the same thing about Mrs. Flavelle's bedroom which is right across the hall from Nellie's bedroom.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: But one of the things that I did find, and it didn't really specify which room it's in, was that one of the one of the bedrooms has this kind of floral scent that comes and goes, even though there are no flowers in there. Mm-hmm. And if I had to guess which one, I would I would guess it's probably Mrs. Flavelle's room. Because yeah. while I don't think either of us really felt much mm-hmm. of it in her mm-hmm. bedroom it also was just kind of this gentle peaceful yes. kind of yes. space. and i could totally see the imagine mm-hmm. the aroma of roses or or something mm-hmm. like that in there mm-hmm. and, and it fitting in that yeah. space
1: yeah very much so and we actually caught we believe um caught an evp in this room um and to to me it sounded like um, a female voice saying I'm in here
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so yeah. you'll have to listen to that for your uh, on your own and and um, let us know what you think we'd like to let you guys listen to that and see what you know if you hear anything or nothing or think we're crazy or whatever yeah and, and to comment on that so we'd like
0: to yeah Because one of the things that I don't know about you all, but one of the things I find when you watch a lot of the kind of ghost hunting shows on Mm TV is often they'll be playing the recordings of the EVPs they say they're capturing, you know, live as the recording goes on. And sometimes they're like, oh, yes, he said the hidden fireplace poker is in the garden or something. (laughs) (laughs) Right,
1: yeah. Exactly. I
0: hear nothing of the sort <laughs> <maybe like laughs> right. or something. Yeah. I don't know where I got the hidden fireplace poker thing from, but um, right, yeah. anyway, it was a weird example, but you know what I mean, right? Yep. Like, yep. I don't always think the things that people play are as clear as they sound and we right. don't want right. whatever we investigate to be wishful thinking. If we right. think we capture something, we want to mm-hmm. share it you But we also want to let you make up your own mind and not Mm -hmm. lead you, yes, right, to believe what we believe or implant the suggestion that, yep, one thing was said, you know, because minds are, minds are tricky,
1: like, (laughs) well, and even we we hear differently individually, you know, we don't all have the same hearing ability (laughs) and whatnot. So, so the room that I felt the most in. Um, the most experienced and kind of a little bit of heaviness, a little bit of um, not really being watched, but just a presence in the room was Captain Flavel's uh, bedchamber. It was his actual bedroom. And it is of course the largest bedroom uh, upstairs, which would have made sense, you know um, now he's reportedly been uh, seen in his bedroom, his spirit, Uh, We didn't, we didn't see anything. I didn't see anything anyway. Um, I don't know if you, yeah, we didn't see anything. Um, But they claim he fades right uh, into the floor when he disappears. And many people have claimed to see his watchful and not entirely welcoming presence just in the second floor um, in general. So um, it's interesting to read accounts of what kind of person Uh, George Flavel was because they're kind of almost contradictory. So by all accounts, the captain, he was very private. He was a very private man. He didn't talk about his personal life. Um, And according to an article in the Oregonian, which is a newspaper that still exists today, uh, while Flavel was one of Astoria's most important figures, he was also one of the least understood. And I think maybe he was just really misunderstood you know
0: yeah and just to point out too with the oregonian that article is a modern one it's not from okay thank you not from his era you. you know i'm not really sure when okay. the oregonian was founded
1: i don't either i know it was done by mr Pittick, who had the other yeah. mansion in oregon so <laughs> um so like i said assessments of his character really varied Um, One account we read said that he had proclaimed his own daughters were so homely that the only way anybody would marry them would be for their money. Now, ironically, they seem to favor him in appearance. And if you look at a picture of George Lavelle, he looks, um, he he is not overly handsome Um, and he's kind of short. I mean, people, I think back then were shorter but he's not a big man in stature. He's he's kind of a, a short gentleman. Um, so, yeah, kind of maybe not father of the year, you know. Um, but then there's other people who describe him as kind and a very generous landlord and very kind landlord. So, you know, a mix. Uh, one gentleman, Joseph A. Halloran, um, he was the editor of The Astorian, which was their local newspaper in the 1880s. And in a later memoir called him, quote, a grave, Saturnine, Sphinx, sour, dour, cold, and crabbed. Jeez. Uh, But he turned to gold all he touched without a friend and suspicion uh, of all. So. There, you know, again, this crabby old grumpy, get off my lawn kind of guy from from Mr. Halloran's viewpoint anyway. Now, his good friend, uh, Dr. Bethania Owens Adder admitted that, quote, he was of a proud and uh, reticent nature, uh, which repelled any inquire inquiry into his private affairs. Um, not that there was anything to conceal. So again, he's very private. He doesn't. I don't know. Maybe he just wasn't very approachable. It's kind of had a gruff look on his face. Again, he was a sea captain, so you know, not maybe Mister Jolly. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, another one. Uh, no man. Uh, whose name had been so prominently before the people was more uh, roundly abused by both the press and public um, wrote a man by the name of Mr. Wright. So again, maybe he was just misunderstood. Um, Another person um, wrote, and this is from the sinking of the general Warren that we talked about before when he went to help. Um, he said, "Quote, he was the bravest seaman I ever saw," declared Brigadier General Joseph Wall, who, as a young army officer, was one of the seven that Flavel had recruited in 1852 to seek help for the SS General Warren. I would have come from the other end of the earth to bid him goodbye. Um, it's also interesting to note that not much is known about him before uh, he turned up in Astoria. So not a lot about not really anything we could find about his younger years, his childhood, anything like that.
0: No, no. And I I have to think too, I wonder if some of the descriptions of him as being kind of dour and serious Mm -hmm. might not be related to, I mean, I have to think if you're a person with any kind of a heart at all to be involved in an accident where 42 people and people you knew
1: Yeah. yeah,
0: And would have lived in pretty close quarters with dies. Die would be something that probably weighs on you for the rest of your life.
1: life.
0: I mean, I have no idea, but, you know, obviously I can't say what he was like as a person, but I could guess that something like that would be something you would carry with you and that might make you, you know, probably not the most. Lighthearted, yeah, like, right, fun guy in town, right.
1: too. Yep. And not just <laughs> that, you know, he wasn't a passenger on that, he was the captain, he was responsible for all of their lives. And I'm sure, like you said, he had, you know, not maybe just serious survivor's guilt, but just guilt that he felt the whole thing was maybe his fault, you know,
0: right? And well, I then I, imagine, yeah. And I think, too, like when you think about his station within society Mm -hmm. as well, Mm -hmm. that there are always going to be people, too, who, you know, are going to find fault with people who are wealthy and who come into things with kind of the attitude of... Um, with the kitty <laughs> the attitude of oh you know he's one of those rich guys what yeah. is he yeah. what does he know he's yep. snooty and-
1: exactly exactly.
0: So, yeah. you know, yeah. who knows but it's interesting how different the accounts of him are and yeah. I am just sort of fascinated by this idea that there's not really a whole lot known about him before he yeah. turned up in Astoria and what he yeah. did up to that point right he was in his early 30s when he yeah. married uh, Mary Christina. So uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know, there's a whole lifetime he could have lived before right, that. Right. It's sort of fascinating to think yep. about. You know, what did he do, and where did he, yep. where did he come from before yeah, that?
1: Exactly, exactly. And in his room, you can feel. I can. I could feel kind. of, Again, n- nothing scary. Nothing. Nothing oppressive. But just a sense of a little bit of heaviness. You know. Mm-hmm. The other experience I had in his room was I was standing opposite Martina. Um, You were over by the fireplace and I was kind of by the, the doorway into his room, into the hallway. Um, My body felt warm, but my hand felt very cold. And I don't know, you know, if that was him kind of walking by me or, or what that was, but my hand, it almost felt like somebody was trying to grab my hand I don't know, you know, maybe it kind of sounds like he doesn't really like people in his room. Um, So maybe he was just trying to get me to go on, you know, to to move out of his his private area. But but that was an interesting um, feeling I had up there. So interesting place. Beautiful, beautiful home. Um, Certainly I would call this. I mean, I think there's something going on there paranormally. Mm-hmm. You know, I th- I think that that family is um, or parts of the family are still there. Um, Yeah. What do you think?
0: Yeah. I think even if it's just something maybe residual, mm-hmm. that it definitely feels in parts of the house, like, like, perhaps there are, there is still an impression there and. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have talked about feeling things when they've been in the house. So yeah.
1: Yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. I it, definitely think there's there's something there. So yeah.
0: And I, I mean, I think between the EVPs that we caught and um some of the other stuff we're gonna talk about still, yeah. that I would say there's evidence that there's yeah. something something yeah. going on there.
1: Absolutely. So, um, again, this is um, some of the photography we took in the house. This is uh, George Flavel, and that's me taking the picture. That's not the boogeyman. (laughs) I just wanted to label that out before anybody said anything. Um, Again, not, I don't know, not an overly handsome man, but he looks dignified. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, So, yeah. So this is a picture I took on this is the back of the house on the outside of the house we looked at the floor plan which i'm sure is different from what you know the house is now i think the majority of the house is the same uh plan right they didn't Mm -hmm. reconstruct or make any new rooms i don't know if we ever decided martina what room this was but this is the only picture of that and to me um, again, that looks almost like female wearing a dress. Um, but it looks like there's a cloth mask over the face. So I don't know, maybe this was a nurse when the one daughter was sick that came to the house to help, help care for her. I don't know. That's what it looks like to me.
0: Yeah. And the interesting thing is there, now I can't remember, was that picture taken before we went in or after?
1: Um, before
0: all the, that's right. It was when we were walking to go get the tickets to go in.
1: Yeah.
0: So when we actually went into the house a few minutes later, the only other people in the house were Mm -hmm. the guide who stays up in the front because it's really, or the hostess, I guess you would call her. Yeah. There's nobody guiding you. It's a self-guided tour. And the only people, other people in the house were a, were a couple and neither of them were wearing what looked like a dress. No. No. I have pictures that I took of that same window and that person is not there. So mm. we know at least that it's not like, I don't know, a mannequin mm. or right. <laughs> some sort of object that's kind of we're looking made. like it. It's either a yep. human person or a, I guess, human, but not
1: currently alive person. a living human. Yeah. Right. Right. So not, you know, maybe this was the kitchen and that was like the side of the stove, but it's not the kitchen. It's a it's a different um
0: no, and I have um, like I said, I have pictures of that window. It doesn't it doesn't have any they don't have anything like that, like that it was an object or anything stationary in the room.
1: Right, Right. So it's up to you guys. Tell us what you think that is anything if nothing, you know. so this is interesting and I, and it was interesting. You were talking about, I believe Katie liked natural light. She wanted her bedroom curtains open. Every picture that I have seen of the house back from the 1800s. And there's only a couple. um, The, it looks like the family's outside. The the daughters are outside and um, it kind of sounds like they really like to be outdoors. Now to me um, again, bring your thoughts on this i don't know it looks like it extends from the grass upward um there's a little bit of distortion towards the top of the picture and i thought well maybe you know this is a a a dress or something but anyway or it could simply be camera you know anomaly something from the sun but i thought it was an interesting photo to share Mm -hmm. um again the sun is kind of up in this first picture, I want to say, on the left mm-hmm. of the picture. And then in the other one on the pond, it is up in the right. Um, So just kind of this, you know, is that camera smudge? Is it sunlight? Is it, you know, something in, going in front of? And Martina, I think these are your pictures that you
0: took. Are and I will say, as far as like a smudge on the lens, none of the other pictures I have true have that, so I don't think it's a smudge. Now, that doesn't mean it can't be a lens flare or some other trick of the light or anything like that, right? But, um, those are and those are the only two pictures that I took in the garden that have anything Mm -hmm. like that on them as well,
1: yep, right, right. And the other thing I Oops, sorry, go ahead.
0: Oh, I was just gonna say, and it looks pretty similar to, to what you caught in your picture as well. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, that kind of wispy um a little bit of light. The other thing I was gonna mention, and it's very hard to see in the second picture, but that tree, there is a bench by that tree.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that is the I want to call it the entryway stone. That's not but the, the entryway to the very first hospital in Astoria built in 1905. So they preserved that I'm assuming the museum people did not the, the Flavels, mm-hmm. um and put that there. So there may be something connected with that stone. And I, um, I'll, I'll put a picture of that. I have a picture of that, that stone mm-hmm. um, bench in, I'll put that on, on Facebook so you guys can see that too. It's pretty interesting. So that's the Flavel house. Very interesting place, and um, you know, as always, this is, episode went you know a little bit longer than our other ones, but I think it was certainly worth it. And uh,
0: oh, sorry for interrupting that. I just wanted to mention too that we had a couple of listeners contact us when they yeah. heard that we were in Astoria with their own stories, too, of yeah. things they'd experienced. At Flavel House. And that's something we encourage you to do as yeah. well. Anytime you want to message us and ask questions or interact or share your stories, we're always happy to hear them.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great to hear from you guys. It really is. Feedback, anything you know you want us to to do or a place you think we should go, anything like that. We love that that interaction, that feedback. Yeah. So Thank you for listening. What is coming up next? We are out of here. We are going on vacation slash retreat to Bend. We cannot wait. Um, interesting city, Bend, Oregon is. A lot of reported haunting places. Um, this picture here is a picture of the old I believe elementary school that's now the Deschutes museum mm-hmm. Permission to go in there and film, talk to their staff. There's reportedly a ghost in there who also, I might, if I remember correctly his name, George, but I can't remember. Um, so true. yeah. Yeah. We're, we're excited to go. This is also yeah. going to be a great episode. Cemeteries, old Catholic schools, all kinds of stuff coming
0: up. Maybe so. Even more than one episode. That's a lot. The You've team. seen how long we rambled on just about,
1: <laughs> and we didn't just go to Flavell, no, we to Fort Stevens, too. But that's going to be we'll give yeah. you guys that up later,
0: but yeah.
1: So, anyways, um, thank you, Martina. Did I miss anything? Do we want to add anything? I don't think so. I just
0: think thank so. you for the support and for yeah. listening. And for yep. joining our Facebook group and coming in and talking with us on our business page. We really appreciate yep. all the interaction and and loves, are open to suggestions and those sorts of things. Yep. And it's just, it's just a r- lot of fun to hear from you all. So thank it you for be, those of yeah. you who've reached out. And if you haven't, don't be shy.
1: Yep. It's fun to do this. We really like it. We enjoy it. So yeah. Okay, everybody. Thank you so much. We will talk to you next time or yeah. well, record for you next time. <laughs> Have a good one. Bye, everybody.
0: Bye. Stay safe. We'll talk to you soon.